Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The U.S. Valkyrie, a formidable military. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improved jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Terry Submarine prowled through the dark depths of the ocean, its sleek hull slicing through the water with precision. Inside, the hum of machinery and the distant echoes of conversations filled the air as the crew carried out their duties with practiced efficiency. The familiar scent of metal and seawater lingered, a constant reminder of the unforgiving environment surrounding them. As John stood at his station, monitoring the gauges and screens, his focus was abruptly shattered by a sudden commotion. One of the soldiers positioned near the porthole let out a startled cry, pointing urgently towards the inky blackness outside. He followed his gaze, his heart pounding in his chest. 
Something was moving in the abyss, something massive and unnatural. A sense of foreboding settled over him as he strained to make out the shape that emerged from the depths. The flickering lights of the submarine revealed elongated limbs and glimmering scales that sent a shiver down his spine. Attempting to warn his teammates, he yelled, his voice drowned out by the alarm bells and the increasing cacophony of panicked voices. And then it happened. Glass shattered, metal groaned, and the unknown creatures breached the submarine. Chaos erupted as the terrifying beings swarmed in, their alien forms twisting and contorting through the narrow corridors. John was no more. In the midst of the ensuing struggle, John found himself separated from his fellow soldiers, forced to fend off the relentless onslaught alone. The creatures moved with a primal hunger, their movements a macabre dance of agility and savagery. He fought back with all his strength, desperately seeking a way to repel these monstrous assailants. But alas, John was no more. I'm Andrew, a Navy SEAL. I was at the gym when I received an assignment, a call from high command to lead a team of Navy SEALs on a mission to uncover the fate of the U.S. Valkyrie. We descended into the abyss, our specialized gear protecting us from the crushing pressures as we ventured deeper into the uncharted underwater cavern where the last signal was. As we penetrated the narrow passageways, we encountered the lifeless, hulking remains of the submarine, its trapped crew frozen in a horrifying tableau of death, all thirty marines dead. The sight sent a chill down my spine. But there was no time for fear. We pressed forward, driven by the need to understand what had transpired. And then, amid the dimly lit cavern, we came face to face with the true horror that had claimed the Valkyrie. A monstrous amalgamation of octopus and shark, its razor-sharp tentacles and gleaming jaws poised for the kill. It was a creature born of nightmares, an apex predator that had, that had adapted to the extreme depths. Trapped in the suffocating darkness, our senses heightened and we fought with every ounce of strength we possessed. The creature's intelligence and ferocity surpassed our expectations, as if it had been waiting for our intrusion. With limited resources and the weight of impending doom pressing upon us, we battled on, a relentless struggle for survival. In the depths of that abyss, Surrounded by the bodies of fallen comrades and the relentless onslaught of the monstrous creature, I realized that we were facing an enemy beyond our comprehension. The fight for our lives became a desperate test of willpower and skill as we grappled with the haunting question. Could we emerge from the depths or would we become mere echoes in the dark, forever lost to the unknown terrors that lurked beneath the surface? As the relentless battle waged on, we were pushed to our physical and mental limits. The creature's tentacles lashed out with a deadly precision, while its massive jaws snapped menacingly, seeking to devour any vulnerable prey in its path. The cavern echoed with the sounds of gunfire and the desperate cries of my teammates. We strategized and coordinated our attacks, exploiting every weakness we could find but the creature seemed to anticipate our every move, evading our bullets and counterattacking with a terrifying ferocity. Its intelligence was undeniable, and it was clear that we were dealing with a force of nature unlike anything we had encountered before. 
As the hours turned into an endless struggle for survival, the cavern became a twisted labyrinth, each turn leading us deeper into the heart of darkness. Our equipment dwindled, our bodies weakened, but our determination remained unyielding. Failure was not an option. With every passing moment, the line between reality and nightmare blurred. The oppressive darkness seemed to seep into our souls, playing tricks on our minds. Whispers echoed through the depths, insidious voices taunting us with our impending doom. One by one, my comrades fell, consumed by the insatiable hunger of the creature. Their sacrifices fueled my determination, igniting a fire within me that refused to be extinguished. I fought with a renewed vigor, unleashing a final surge of energy against the relentless adversary. In a desperate maneuver, I managed to dodge the creature's deadly grasp and strike a decisive blow. The cavern trembled as the beast let out an otherworldly shriek, its monstrous form convulsing in its death throes. Silence fell upon the battlefield, broken only by the heavy panting of my exhausted breath. With the creature defeated, I surveyed the wreckage of our mission. The bodies of my fallen comrades lay scattered, their sacrifice a haunting reminder of the horrors that lurked in the depths. I felt a mixture of sorrow, pride, and survivor's guilt coursing through my veins. As I made my way back to the surface, the weight of the encounter settled upon my shoulders. The ocean's depths held secrets beyond human comprehension and the unknown creatures that dwelled there were a testament to the unfathomable mysteries of the world. I lived out in the boonies, so there were only a handful of houses near me, and I never really saw anyone. Every day when I was twelve-ish, I would walk out in random directions through the forest just for something to do. One day I walked off the main road onto a dirt road for a few miles, and at the very end I found an abandoned house. Not unusual for the area, so I just looked around for a bit, but nothing too interesting. Behind the house I noticed an old trail that went into another forest, so I followed it. I went down about two miles, and it took me to an abandoned summer camp. Now... This was interesting. When I looked around the place, though, there were little signs that people were still there. Small animal traps set out, piles of clothing and garbage, food, etc. This freaked me out a lot, but I was pretty brave or stupid, so I kept looking around. That was until three men emerged from one of the buildings. They were dirty and unshaven and pretty old and large. The moment I saw them, I started sprinting away leaving my bag and everything. I got out to a clearing and stopped to catch my breath and looked around to see if I was safe, and I wasn't. They came into the clearing, attempting to run after me. I was being followed. I continued sprinting until I got back to the abandoned house. I couldn't run anymore, so I went into the basement and hid inside a cupboard, crying at that point. I heard them talking outside the house and walking around. Luckily, the building was so old, the floors could barely hold me at 90 pounds, let alone those gigantic men so they couldn't go in. Eventually, it went silent. I still stayed in there for a long time, though, just in case they were still outside. By the time I came out, the sun was setting, and they were gone. 
When I got home, my parents freaked out since I was gone for so long, and I just burst into tears and told them the whole story. My dad couldn't believe I went so far away, and told me that a band of hicks that are notorious for committing petty crimes lived less than a mile from the camp. After learning everything, I was pretty deterred from going out for a while. I can't imagine what might have happened if I, they caught me. My husband, boyfriend at the time, and I were camping at Harriet Lake, which is a small lake pretty deep in the Willamette National Forest. We were on a road trip from San Francisco to Vancouver, British Columbia at the time, and decided to spend one of the days exploring Portland for the first time, since our campsite was only about 90 minutes outside of town. On the way back to the campsite, we approached the last stoplight in the last town, Estacada, Oregon, before the highway narrowed to one lane in each direction. At the red light, we were pulled up next to a couple on a, a motorcycle. They looked to be in their fifties. The man in front was short and pudgy, while the woman was tall and lanky. I joked to my husband that they looked like Boris and Natasha from the Rocky and Bullwinkle show. When the light turned green, they looked over at us, took off, cut in front of us, and disappeared pretty quickly down the curvy road ahead. I remember us thinking we had somehow pissed them off because they were driving really aggressively. Soon after, we found ourselves deep in the forest. The winding road was flanked by cliffs on the left and the sparkling, rushing Clackamas River on the right. Several small, old green metal bridges passed over the winding river. Cell signals quickly disappeared, the sun was setting, and there were very few other people around except for a few fishermen trying to get one last catch before the sun went down for the night. As we approached the last bridge before the turnoff that led to the campground, we noticed that Boris and Natasha were parked sideways in the middle of the bridge, as as we got closer to them we realized that they were staring at us, as if they were waiting for us. I noticed that Natasha was holding something in her hand. Whatever it was, it was producing a fair amount of smoke. I thought maybe we had come across them smoking a cigar or a blunt or something. As we slowed down and prepared to pass them on the bridge, I got a closer look at whatever was in her hand and realized that there was way too much smoke coming from it. Right as we were passing them, she tossed the smoking object under our car and they scooted off the bridge, then turned around and looked at us as if they were waiting for something. My husband had the quick thinking to swerve and accelerate out of there, and not a moment too soon, as the object exploded forcefully right after our car cleared it. Boris and Natasha, having failed to accomplish whatever their goal was, disable our car, and then rob us, kidnap us, kill us, sped off down a side road. While my husband was furious, I was totally freaked out. I was convinced that they were following us, or had been following us earlier in the day. I was 100% certain that they would return to our campsite in the night, where we were defenseless in our tent, and finish the job, get rid of the witnesses. Fortunately, we never saw them again.
I've already written one story, but I'll add in another because it's more funny than creepy, but in the moment it scared the shit out of me. So, meandering my way through the woods to this one area that had been affected by a brush fire a few years back, tons of dead fallen trees and branches, which makes for excellent kindling, which is what my dad sent me out there for. It was around 5 or 6 p.m., but was bright out since it was mid-June. I'm walking, looking down at my phone, texting, and I stopped for a moment to quick hit send, and even though I'd stopped walking, I could still hear leaves crunching. Oh, I freeze and look up as slowly as possible, and less than 15 feet in front of me was a black bear. He looks at me. I look at him. It's June, it's mating season, and he was one big mother F. I keep looking at him. He keeps looking at me. I'm frozen stiff, and this guy is too. I think he could feel how little of a threat I actually was, because after a moment he snorted and just walked off. I broke land speed record sprinting back to my house, and at first my dad thought. I was messing with him, but I, I was like dad, no. Real bear. Big bear. As I'm like gasping for breath, and finally he walked into the woods to see for himself and stepped right in a fresh pile of bear poop. I told him stepping in poop was payback for him being skeptical. Falling asleep in my hammock while on a backpacking trip, only to wake up in the middle of the night surrounded by dark moving objects, flicked my headlamp on to reveal a small herd of elk now standing stock, still staring at a very confused, frightened human with a light on its head. They all held that position for several seconds, then bolted. Elk are a lot bigger and menacing when you're by your lonesome and they are within arm's length of you. Some years ago, my brother and I, he was like 11 and I two years older, made some small hiking tours in the forest surrounding our village. One time we found that little abandoned shed there with just one room without a door and a small porch. There was nothing really interesting, just some newspapers from 10 to 15 years ago lying on the ground. But we were little kids and found this mysterious, so we came back a few times. It happened the last time we were there. Suddenly, when we were about to go, I heard a loud noise from the attic, which was locked with a shutter on the outside of the shed. I thought it sounded like something wanting to move out there. We left that place in a hurry. A few weeks later, we decided to go there again, and suddenly a woman I've never seen before went into our way. She asked us where we wanted to go, and we answered with nowhere. Then she said something like, then bugger off, and we ran away. There was nothing else there except this cabin, and we were not on private property. I've never been there again, but I'm 17 now, so I think I should pay it another visit. Not a very mysterious tale, but I would be interested to know who that woman and what that noise was. My dad and myself went to the rural country cemetery located in the bowels of the mountains. This cemetery has been there for at least 80 to 90-ish years. The cemetery sits on a small hill with a very steep road going up and only a very good truck with four-wheel drive or an off-roading vehicle. It is located in between a four-way with only one home. 
a double-wide trailer located down the hill. It has been empty and for sale for about a year or two and was empty during the time of our visit. It has a fence encircling it and two pine trees sitting in the middle of it. That is where my family is buried at. My grandmother and grandfather are both buried there as well as also my uncle has his ashes buried there at the foot of my grandfather's vault. Three other aunts and uncle are also buried there as well as also my great-grandparents. We got out and went in through the chain-locked gate that you have to pull apart and open from the outside, and we sat there at the grave of my grandparents for about twenty or thirty minutes talking. We sometimes like to walk around the grounds for a little bit before we headed back to town, and today was no different. We walked around looking at the graves from the 17 and 1800s as well as Cherokee graves marked by rocks at the very back of the cemetery. However, I find something odd on the ground by the flat grave marker of a grave from the 1800s. It was a large bare foot, at least two times larger than my own. I sat there stunned by what I was seeing. Its big toe was extremely large and round in the shape of a quarter, perfectly round. Its arch was very broad and curved, very sharply making the rest of the foot almost look sideways in appearance. Whatever it was, was there the night prior passing through. I inspected the ground surrounding the rest of the cemetery and saw nothing else. No other tracks. Nothing. When I got home, I told my mother what had happened. She seemed to believe me and my father, considering I never had lied about or seen anything like that before, and could see the amazement on my face. Sometime later, my aunt happened to be visiting, and I told her about the track I had found out there and what she told me was very creepy. She told me that when my other uncle, my father's other brother, was out there visiting the graves years prior, he had come home and said that something was in the cemetery. He said he had felt watched and was very creeped out being alone back there. Story 2. When my grandmother died in the fall or early winter of 2018, my aunt and uncle had moved into her trailer until they could secure a new home and move back from Tennessee to be closer to family. Many people who stayed the night there while my grandmother was still alive would swear that my grandfather's spirit, who died of cancer under hospice care in the trailer years prior, was haunting the residence. Strange footsteps in the night voices and knocking on the trailer walls would always be reported. My father had even encountered said oddities. The knocking would come from outside, and when looking outside or stepping out there with a gun, nothing was there. Prior to my grandmother's passing, my father's only living brother had come to visit her at the trailer one evening and said that he had seen my grandfather standing by her with his arm around her and said, Son, I'm going to see your mother very, very soon, and then he And my grandmother did join him a few months later. That was when my aunt and uncle had moved in. Afterwards, nothing strange happened. Yet, and eventually, they had found a suitable new home to move into and on a cold winter's night. In the dead of night, in the power to the trailer being cut, as you would expect, given the moving, the power bill didn't need to be paid. We arrived at the home and began moving them out. Boxes of clothes, TV, couch, and beds, all loaded into the U-Haul parked in the front yard with the engine running and keys in the ignition. Suddenly, every light source we had helping us see suddenly went out. 
The flashlight we had hung on the front porch facing the front door went out, and the U-Haul's engine completely died. We went back out. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Turned them back on. However, a few minutes later, you did it again. Everything went black. That is when I started being followed around while inside the rooms of the trailer. I felt like someone was following me around, and I swear at times I would hear a female voice saying, Hi, as well as also a male spirit, which was also heard by my father while in the living room. This continued on, and finally after everything was loaded into the U-Haul and we regrouped outside, getting ready to leave, we were talking out in the front yard. I swear I could hear someone walking across the hardwood floors in the home. We left a few minutes later. A new family moved in a few months later after doing some rehab on the trailer, and as far as we know, no other paranormal activity has been reported since. Story 3. My father and my, myself was driving back to town after visiting my aunt, his sister, and my uncle. It was late evening and raining. Everything was muddy and wet, and fog was hovering somewhat over the hills and ridge lines. Well, we got to the bend in the round a little curve about a mile out from their house when suddenly this woman with short black hair comes, walking out of the dense thick woods. Beside the wood, my father almost hit her head on and swerved to avoid her. She was wearing a rain jacket and black sweatpants and dirty tennis shoes. It looked like she had been in the woods all night and maybe even all week long. She had mud all over her pants. Her jacket and shirt underneath was soaking wet, and her hair was a mess. She looked very disheveled and stared at us all the way up the road, just staring. I even looked back in the Riverview mirror, and she was still up there at the side of the road, looking at us, not even moving back into the woods or walking away, just staring. She was never seen again. I often wondered just what the hell she was doing out there, wet and alone, Perhaps she was kidnapped. Whatever the case, however, something was off about her. My brother and his friend were deer hunting in some woods up in the area close to his home. This was multiple years ago, so nothing recent. They were going through the woods with their guns when suddenly they spot something up in a tree watching them. This thing jumps from the high vantage point. It's at around 10 or 20 feet high and falls all the way down to the ground below without being seriously injured. It was covered in thick mattered hair and it was on two legs. They aimed their guns at it, but the thing screamed at them, though he considered it more like a roar and charged them. They ran out of the woods as fast as they could, as this thing chased them for quite some time before finally losing it and getting back home in one piece. My aunt and uncle are the oldest of my mother's family. 
My uncle had served in the Vietnam War and was even at one point during his stay overseas captured along with his brother. They were held hostage by the Viet Cong in the jungles. He would often tell stories of how they would whip them and beat them mercilessly and throw fesses on them all. After he returned home, they lived up in the rural area where my mother's family had grew up in their whole lives before she had moved to the city and started a private and home nursing hospice center where my aunt had personally cared for deathly ill patients. From dementia to cancer, she treated them all with respect and kindness. However, around the early 2010s, after she had long since retired and my uncle starting to become ill, as well, the organization whom helped get them the house in the first place had foreclosed on them, they were forced to move into a retirement home by the interstate. It was a high-rise apartment building located by the interstate. Mostly only elderly and handicapped were living there, well around a few months to maybe a year to their stay there. One night they saw an elderly woman who had Alzheimer's walking across a frozen pond near the building. No one even knew she was even gone. They watched in horror as the woman fell through the ice and drowned in the lake. No one discovered her body until the next morning. After that, however, some say her spirit lingered in the building. My aunt and uncle would often talk about how they would hear footsteps. And one night, my uncle had gotten up for something to drink in the middle of the night to see the woman standing there in the middle of the living room. Frightened, he flicked on the light and she vanished. This continued for months and weeks as the spirit of the woman haunted their living area. Eventually, though they were forced to move again after my uncle had dementia for years prior, but it started to progress even more during this time, and just last year he would lose his long battle with the evil disease. The house I moved into was close to a Native American burial site. The landlord out of nowhere said the last tenants experienced ghosts. I wondered why she brought that up, blew it off, whatever. The garage had a single light bulb with a pull string on it. I'm sitting eye level to it about two feet away, smoking a cigarette. I watch it pull straight down and click off. I run inside, try to chill. My mom gets home and I tell her what happened. She thought I was just making it up, didn't really believe it. Two months go by, I'm sitting on the couch. She runs in the house, pale as can be. The light string pulled down again, right in front of her. Other things happened in that house, but nothing ever threatening. That changed my mind on the world around me. Whether it was a parallel dimension that was somehow interacting or a ghost, that house changed my life. In school, my friends taking photography class had images of this cool and creepy local abandoned hospital in the town across the river. It had the lovely nickname Killer Cobb, so like any sensible people in their 20s would do. I snuck in with my two classmates to check it out. It was one of my most surreal moments in my life. The first creepy thing was one room that looked like it had dried fruit scattered across the floor. In the next room, there were plastic tubs with names, dates, and numbers on them. Each tub had organs and body parts in them and preservatives. The room with the fruit was covered in dumped-out organs. All the way through the place, the power was on. 
It had been shut down for about a decade. Parts of the ceiling were falling in and windows were missing. It was totally Silent Hill quality. The creepiest was the holes in the wall that appeared to be blasted into it. The shatterproof glass with the wires in it had chunks blown out. Looked like someone had fired a shotgun through the place. There were areas that had splashes of what looked like dried blood near the holes, and we found a stretcher that had a pool dried of blood that ran off the sides and under it. We got to the third floor, and as I am peeping through a window on a set of double doors, gulping out the halls that were dark to check for anything that might, you know, want to kill us, I saw this stick start coming out from behind a corner. Then I understood that I saw the shadow of a man holding a shotgun coming down the hall and dropped low behind the door. I ran to the others and we noped out with a quickness. We reported the creepy possible murders and very real biohazards to the local news channel. Years later it was torn down. Another, I was working on a painting at my school and my instructor had her kids in the building. They played and giggled running around the whole time. I heard it but it didn't bother me. I was really into my project, and time slipped by quickly. I realized at a point I was starving and looked down at my watch. Realizing it was almost 2 a.m., I couldn't believe she and the kids were still there. As I walked to the door to tell them I was leaving, as I came to the door leading to the hallway, everything became completely quiet. I walked through the building to see what was up, and I was completely alone and creeped out. I peeked out the window that overlooked the parking lot. Nothing. I left and tried to not work up there by myself from that point forward. One of my friends had a similar experience. I am an outdoorsman. I'm very experienced in hunting, camping, hiking, and general survival. I'm very familiar and used to wildlife, and I was charged by what I believe was a cryptid called a dogma. It charged me and my cousin. It was not a bear. A bear cannot move how it did, and it was not a normal wolf as they can't comfortably run on two legs. Whereas what charged us seemed natural at doing, I can elaborate further if you wish. This happened around June or July of 2007, I believe. I was around 17 years old and more cocky then, but still somewhat knowledgeable of the outdoors. My family used to own a cabin in northwestern Wisconsin. I basically grew up there in the summer. I knew the woods well, but at night it was wise to stay in the cabin, or at least by the bonfire by the beach, because of bears, wolves, and cougars. One of the creepiest things was if you were having a bonfire. The tree line was visible from the fire pit and beach, and at night you always felt like you were being watched from that tree line. But during the day, the woods always seemed normal, not so creepy. That is until this incident. So this happened somewhere between 12-14. Me and my cousin were having an airsoft battle. I was in full woodland camo. He was not. I retreated onto the ATV trail into the woods for a tactical advantage, and our battle took us about 200 meters in to about a third of the way up the trail. We had enough at this point and were standing at the edge of a clearing on the trail, talking, and he was maybe 10 feet from me when I decided to mess with him. I shushed him and said we're being watched. He froze, 
Then I realized the woods were dead quiet, and I got spooked and started scanning the tree line and the other edge of the clearing from left to right when I saw it. Its teeth gave it away. It was panting and staring at my cousin. I don't expect you to believe me, but what I saw was a wolf as big as a black bear, at least 300 pounds, but it wasn't normal. This wolf was on two legs, crouching next to a tree with its arm grasping the tree, grasping with a clawed hand it had reddish-brown fur. I told my cousin that we have to go, and next thing I know, he is sprinting, and I look back at Wolfie, who had locked on and sprinted a few steps on two feet. And then I turned and ran when it looked like Wolfie was dropping to all fours. It charged us and sounded right on our asses barreling through the brush, but for whatever reason let us go when we broke out of the tree line and headed for the cabin. What stuck with me the most was the sheer size. Wolfie appeared to be nearly seven feet tall when upright, and that where it should have had front paws it appeared to have large clawed hands. Now I'm not sure how to explain it away rationally. I have heard wolves will occasionally kind of walk upright, but as far as I know, they can't sprint on two legs, nor do wolves get that big. And black bears more waddle on two legs. The closest description is silly, a werewolf or dogman. For years I lived in a little country town. My house was pretty far back in it about twenty-thirty men from the nearest small city. To get back to my house from the city, you'd need to drive down a few paved roads, then turn onto a dirt road that is just straight for about five miles, then turns into a typical winding country road. One night I turned onto the dirt road, and after a few miles I noticed a light on the side of the road that was still very far away. The section of the road I was on didn't have any houses, only woods and the houses that were nearest were still about three miles down the road, plus located down their own little roads. It was completely pitch black, and something was weird about the light, like it was shaking. Like when someone is messing with you by reflecting the sun into your eyes off a shiny surface, they can't quite keep it still in your eyes, so it moves around quickly. The light stayed only pointing down the road in my direction, though. It was easy to spot as it was right on the side of the road on a pitch-black night. As I got closer, my headlights began to light up the source of the light. It was a man, walking. I'm not a racist, but I can't say the same for the town I lived in. As a result, very few African Americans lived there. I mention this because the man holding the light was African American so it was a bit odd to see any non-white person walking alongside the road, let alone this late at night. Something else was off, though. The man was wearing an aisle-fitting odd outfit of what looked like white burlap, as if he had taken a few burlap sacks, torn them up, and sewn them together. He was also holding a white paper bag with some sort of liquid covering the bottom, like it had spilled in the bag. Another thing was the fact that this road had virtually no walking space, and most of what was on the side of the road were ditches to move rainwater. Now, even all of this isn't what spooked me. He was walking in an eerily steady pace, with a dead look on his face, going the same direction I was heading. 
It took me probably ten seconds of staring to realize that although he was heading away from me, his flashlight was pointing toward me. He was holding it backward in a fist, didn't even turn to look at me as I passed. I still don't have a clue how he could see to walk along the pitch black road why he was there or what was in his bag, but I sure as hell didn't stop to find out. Doing a road trip with a friend of mine driving from Tennessee to California, we planned out many stops along the way, trying to take in the sights of the country and avoid expensive hotels by camping. We had made it all the way down to Arizona and stopped in Flagstaff for dinner. Our next stop was to drive down to Sedona and camp at a free camping ground right off the interstate. When our exit came up, it was well into the dark hours. We pulled off, and the exit immediate turned into gravel road. Strange, but no problem my jeep could handle it. The road turned from gravel to just massive rocks, as tall trees seemed to surround us from now where. Our GPS cut out, and we began to wonder if we were lost. My friend then took the opportunity to begin telling alien abduction stories, which seemed harmless at first. We continued for a few more miles till we found a spot we figured we could camp out. As we pulled up, even before we got out, my friend said he thought he saw something moving along with us. I in disbelief, yet still freaked out enough by the alien stories, stopped the car. We waited and sure enough, I saw it too, one shadowy figure. No two, no three. Then more than I could count but just outside of light, so we couldn't make them out completely. Finally, when all the previous figures passed the last one, something looking eleven or twelve feet tall stood looking at us. We didn't sit for a moment longer. I put the car in gear and drove for another five miles. Needless to say, we were shook and making ridiculous assumptions on what we saw. We camped on that road, but stayed in the car. I didn't sleep well, I cannot say about my friend. Come morning time, our worries were put to rest. Around 5 a.m., a group of hunters came by us as we were getting up. Turns out the road was a prime spot for hunters to camp and hunt elk. They told us that they had spotted a herd some 30, 40 strong and let us borrow their binoculars to check them out maybe a half mile off from our campsite. We continued down the road, which led directly into Sedona, and ran into our 12-feet friend from the night before, a massive moose. I'd never seen one before and had never known how huge they could get. He wandered across the path in front of us, took one look, and walked away. We sure were far more scared than need be, but having never been in that area in the state of mind, we, wherein telling alien stories, sure worked us up. My family and I were making our way back home to Colorado from Texas. We made it home somewhere around 1 a.m., but Mom wanted to unpack the car that night so we wouldn't have to deal with it the following day. We lived out on an 80-acre piece of land about an hour east of Colorado Springs, and our nearest neighbors weren't for miles. It was pretty desolate. We didn't have electricity or running water. The goal was to be off the grid. The sky was clear, beautiful, stars everywhere. No sign of any bad weather. 
As we were unloading the car, though out of nowhere, we got hit with a fog so dense, you couldn't shine a light through it. You couldn't see your hands unless you touched them up to your face. It was already cold enough, and the sudden fog didn't help. The four of us froze in our tracks and called to one another. I managed to find the car and clung to it for dear life. My mother was closest to the house, and she managed to get to the door and unlock it. After that, we called to one another to see who was close to whom, what we were close to when the fog hit, and then Mom would call back. This went on for a solid 40 minutes. The fog did not go away. My father finally found me, and from there tracked down my sister. He tied ropes to our waist so we wouldn't lose one another. He echoed back and forth with my mother, which took another 20 minutes. The fog still wasn't gone. Finally, at long last, like a ghost popping through a wall, my mother appeared in front of us. We all got into the house immediately and warmed up in front of the propane heater. We looked out the windows, and it was as if someone had painted them over so you couldn't see out. Somewhere around 14 people died that night from the fog. It was one of the weirdest natural occurrences I'd ever experienced. I want to say I was 11 years old. Needless to say, from then on, we only arrived home during the day, if possible. If not, we'd stay in a hotel rather than risk dying in our front yard.